Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. We have a special guest, Dick King, in today's studio. We're going to be speaking with him about striper bass fishing. Um, many of you that have been listeners or friends and family and longtime members of Christian Hunters of America have known Dick King for quite some time. He is one of the founding fathers of our organization over 20 years ago when it was previously Desert Christian Archers. Um, as we've said in previous episodes, we've rebranded back in probably 2016, 2017, somewhere around there, and we uh, changed into Christian Hunters of America and rebranded. But Dick King is one of the pioneers of our of our organization, and uh, we owe a lot of the success to him. <clears throat> He's going to be speaking about specifically Lake Pleasant, which is a, a small uh, lake here in Maricopa County within the greater Phoenix area, northwest uh, portion of Phoenix. Anyone that lives here in Arizona has heard of Lake Pleasant. It's a huge area to recreate in the summertime. Um, they have many different species of fish uh, for game species, whether it's, you know, some perch or uh, bass, the stripers, catfish, everything. Um, he's going to be speaking to us specifically about the striper bass. Uh, he's taken out numerous people. He's guided people in the past. Dick's approaching 80 years old, and he's probably forgotten more than most of us know. And uh, he's going to educate us a lot. Um, in February of 2023, we are going to be having a first ever striper bass fishing uh, seminar. And that's going to be at the Oasis Community Church where many of our seminars are. We hope you are able to listen to this podcast and, and attend that uh, in person because I'm sure he's going to be sharing lots of other stories, lots of other advice. Um, he'll have pictures and slides that, you know, are going to go a long ways on uh, how to throw a cast net, uh, how to bait. He uses live bait in order to catch those because they're such, you know, high predatory fish. But um, if you can't make it to that, we hope you enjoy this episode. But for any of you that can, Oasis Community Church in February, the third Tuesday of every month, like we always have our seminars or our meetings, um, we hope you can attend that Oasis Community Church over in Scottsdale. We will have our first ever striper bass fishing seminar and we hope you enjoy this episode we really appreciate everyone's support and we wouldn't be able to do this without all of you so please continue to support us whether that's uh, attending our seminars coming to our mentored camps uh, buying some tickets for raffles we really really appreciate that um, continue to follow us on instagram and on facebook and uh, if you have any ideas of future episodes that you'd like people to be interviewed let us know and we can uh, discuss that thank you hello everyone welcome to another episode of the christian hunters of america podcast this is your host chet gray we have a special guest in studio today a lifelong christian hunters of america member one of the original og CHA members, Dick King in studio today. Dick is uh, inspiration to us all. Um, I've heard lots of great stories, great success stories, great mentorship. Um, he's going to be speaking with us about striper bass fishing. Um, we're going to change it up. We do so much archery. We do so much shooting and hunting. 
but we love everything outdoors. And he is an avid, avid fisherman, lifelong fisherman, and um, concentrates on the striper bass here in Arizona at lots of the lakes. How are you, Dick? I'm great, Chet. Good to be here. Good to have you. Awesome. And as always, we got Mikey in studio. How are you, Mike? Man, I am excited today. Having Dick in the house, it's a good day. It is yeah. a good day. Mike and I go way, way, way back. Where and I'm sitting here in Mike's little office and shop looking at all of his critters on the wall. It's amazing. Yep. A good job. Yeah, and to think that I only had maybe three when I first met you back in 2002. <laughs> uh, two, yeah, 2002-ish, I think it was. That's a lot, a lot of years of harvest up there then we're yes. getting older <laughs> we are getting older it's crazy to yeah. think that it was over 20 years ago it's yeah. like where's the time go yeah it's amazing dick do you want to introduce yourself a little bit um everybody that's been a part of cha for a long time has definitely either heard of you or known you but for our listeners that are new or are out of state uh friends just a quick little intro and how you got started with cha gosh Chet, that's a Kind of a long story, but, you know, <laughs> amazingly, uh, I was at a sports show in Phoenix probably 25 years ago, and somebody had a, a table set up, and they had um, some forms on there for uh, Christian Bowhunters of America. And I thought, man, that'd be neat to have a chapter in Arizona. And I picked up one of those cards and, and a form, and I think it said on my desk it worked for three years maybe. And a friend of ours uh, and a co-founder, uh, Arvid Viedmark, he and I were at lunch one day, and I was mentioned it to him, and he said, let's do it. So between the two of us, we, we put our heads together, and we applied for a, a membership to that organization and got it. And, and David and Mike and some of these kind of <coughs> picked up and ran with it. And uh, I stepped aside several years ago after... I retired from working. I decided I'm going to retire from all these. I was pretty involved in some other organizations at the time, uh, ABA and and uh, just just a lot of volunteering. And my wife and I decided that when we retire, we're going to retire and we're going to do things, the two of us, instead of volunteering so much. So I stepped aside from, from uh, what was Christian Bowhunters of America and now Christian Hunters of America and or Desert Christian Archers, I guess it was. And, and uh, it's kind of fun sitting back and watching the growth because it's phenomenal what you guys have done. Yep, and I think it goes back to legacy and foundation because I remember walking in and it was about 2002. It was only like a year old and you guys had this Havelina seminar. That's <laughs> you, you were know, a year old? I was a year old, yep. <laughs> I was, I was. It was yeah. crazy. But it was I remember walking in, you guys were doing a javelina seminar. I'm like, I got to learn how to javelina hunt a little better. I've shot a few, but and all of a sudden I walk in and there's Dick shaking everybody's hand and kind of next thing you know, he's trying to give bear hugs to everybody. He's like, come on in. We're going to talk about these javelinas. You know, yeah. they're a little bit stinky, but not as stinky as me. And, but you know, I do like to fish and sometimes yeah. fish is a little bit more stinkier than the javelina. So we're going to fit right in here. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, you know, Mike, yep. there was a time when I thought fishing was something that you do when you don't can't go hunting. I mean, there's hunting season yep. in Arizona between turkeys and deer and antelope and javelina, and you can almost hunt year-round here. Not quite, but pretty close. Yep. So I didn't do very much fishing, but now I'm pushing 80 years old, and I discovered that fishing, sitting in a boat, is a heck of a lot easier than hiking a mountain. So I still, <laughs> yep. I still get out and hunt. I uh, killed an elk last year with my bow, and 
Awesome. I just got back from a javelina hunt, or I didn't. I did not tag a javelina, but I had a great time. I haven't given up yet, so it's awesome. I still hike the mountains, but I'm. I really, the time that I used to devote to volunteering for organizations and and that type of stuff was more oriented all around hunting. Today, I spend it fishing stripers out on Lake Pleasant. Yep, and uh, boy, can you catch those yeah. stripers on Lake Pleasant? I, I tell you, anybody that yeah. follows you on facebook and uh sees what you're able to to catch and the techniques and i'm gonna and you actually sent me an article you know back in the day when you were just a young pup you know yeah. much younger oh, probably yeah. what 40 years ago 50 it was oh, almost boy. probably 50 years Pushing ago. I think 50 it, years ago yeah yeah you were a guide yeah. and uh worked for an outfit and started to start your, your own guide business and kind of took some yeah you want to tell a little story of that how you kind of Went kind of yeah. well, outside the norm, and kind of that was the foundation of fishing for you. That article that I sent to you is written by a guy, authored by a guy named Ron Linder. And Ron and Al Linder, if you live in the Midwest or grew up or around walleye fishing or any of the fishing in the Midwest, they were the godfathers, basically, of, of modern-day fishing in, in the Midwest. I mean, they, they are... They are like Fred Berry's archery. You yes. Know? Yep. So I grew up in that same area, and uh, I, I kind of fell into fishing. I worked at a resort right out of high school, and they needed someone to take some people fishing. They had these charter boats like you have on the ocean, actually. They take all 16, 18, 20 people. One of the guys didn't show up that operated one of those boats one day, and they needed somebody to fill in. And I was 17 years old, really didn't know and I didn't know anything, and I took these guys out fishing. But I, I found that I had to learn in a hurry. And from there, I went to fortunate things. Things just happen sometimes. But a guy named Ray Scott and uh, his brother, his brother was the voice of the Minnesota Vikings, and Ray Scott, or Hell Scott was a sports announcer for one of the TV stations in Minneapolis. They brought up a group of Boy Scouts, and I took those fishing, and there was like 14 of them, and we caught like 80 walleyes. And they had these pictures on television, and they talked about it with the Minnesota Vikings and this and that, and then that kind of kicked my guiding career off to a pretty good start. So things just happen sometimes. Yep. And then I worked for someone else for many, many years, and then I decided to start my own business and met Ron and Ellen Linder, and fished with them somewhat and did some radio stuff with them and wrote a couple articles for their magazine or co-authored them and uh, did a lot of seminars and just that was kind of my life for 20 years it was oriented around fishing and uh, I'll share my testimony when we do a seminar but uh, yep, yep. things happen in life wound up uh, kind of going astray let's put it that yep, way yep, yep. and the things that were really important to me became not so important i wound up selling my business moving from minnesota to oregon lived up there went through a divorce met a new lady up there wound up getting married moving to arizona i had a friend that i knew in minnesota that moved to arizona and i came down here to visit him and we liked it so we stayed so you know, life goes through a season of changes, and yep. and uh, striper fishing is, well, fishing in general is like archery hunting is to an avid archer. You you go out and you try to learn everything you can learn about that species that you're hunting, and and when I first started fishing stripers, 
I wasn't impressed at all. They weren't very big, and, and they didn't, I don't know, I just wasn't impressed with them. And about three or four years into my striper fishing career, I went with a friend of mine, and I hooked the fish, and it broke me off. And I said, uh-oh, <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> i got to figure this out. I'm not going to let that happen again. So since that time, I've really, really, really delved into it and uh, found out that there's more to striper fishing than just going out there and, and spending time on the water. So yep. it's been good to me. I've caught, and the guys that fish with me, I've caught a lot of really, really nice fish over the last several years. And, yeah, it's, it's fun. Absolutely, and I think your pictures show that. I mean, you're, you're laying across the top of your boat, and you got <laughs> yeah. 8, 10, 12, sometimes yeah. 18 fish that are 5 yeah. pounds or 10 pounds. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, just fantastic yep. striper fish for Lake Pleasant. So, yeah. Yeah. so let's talk about, so you launch your boat, and uh, what does is, what is, uh, the morning look like? Because I know one of the things I've, I've been wanting to go, and it's, it's hard for me to go because you're like, ah, we're going to be at my house at 3 a.m., and I may not get you back till 8 p.m., and yeah, just well. so you know, you got to keep up with this guy that's about 30 years older than you. I'm like, are you sure you can cut it? Because I'm not sure you can cut it, Mike. Yeah. It's <laughs> – I fish live bait. So I'm a live bait fisherman. I don't fish artificial baits. I have. I don't. Um, stripers are pretty smart. Lake Pleasant's quite clear. Um, somebody told me years ago that – live shad can make a good fisherman out of a bad fisherman and and i believe that's true because it works for me so to get live shad you know there's a, a rule in arizona you can only throw a four foot cast net catching bait with a four foot cast net is next to impossible um, doing it under the cover of darkness helps a great deal so even with the restricted hours at Lake Pleasant, or now in the wintertime, you can't get on the lake if you go through the county park till 6 o'clock. If you go in on the west or the east side of the lake at Pleasant Harbor, you can go in any time, day or night. But getting bait in the dark is much easier than it is in the daylight because the shad see the net and they, and they just run out from under it. So um, my day starts usually, like you said, 3 o'clock in the morning. I try to get up and get out to the lake and try to get bait before it gets daylight and then the rest of the day you spend, it's like hunting. You know, you don't want to hunt where there's no game and you don't want to fish where there's no fish. So um, use your electronics, do a lot of scouting, drive along, cover a lot of water. And over a period of years, I have found that there are, just like elk like to favor this spot or this spot or bed on this side of this hill, the stripers have parts of the lake that they seem to favor more so than other times. And I've found that, found that holds seasonally true and and uh it's worked out well for me over the years so it yeah. changes season to season and spring to fall and winter and so forth so sure so like right now it's 50 degrees outside so getting on that water you're probably talking what, 30 degrees uh, it's probably freezing then you get that that wind hitting you in the face so you're getting out there hardest part throwing a cast net is being out there on those 30 degree mornings or high 20s and the cast net when you between throws, the net freezes in your hands, oh, oh. <laughs> and there's ice all over the bow of the boat, so you have to be really careful. Yep. Um, fortunately, Arizona, we don't have a whole lot of days like that, but last time I was out was last Monday, and we were fishing one of the North Coves, and I took a picture of the Bradshaws, and it looks like Alaska. It's yep. all white mountains. Beautiful, and, yep. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was very, very cold, and we didn't do real well on stripers that day. We caught a lot of fish. White bass right now are really... There's a tremendous 
number of white bass in Lake Pleasant right now, and, and it's a really good bite right now. So oh, That's great. Yeah. So so you catch the, the shad, so you throw the net, you bring the shad in. Uh-huh. Then what do you do with them? You just throw them in an ice chest, or no, is, there, is there techniques no. for keeping those shad alive, or do they die, or, or what's what's the key portion of once you get, once you, you bring in that freezing net, you drop it into your <laughs> boat, so then what happens? No. There's a process, yeah, I, yep. I have two barrels. One is uh, called a purge barrel, and Actually, the shad get all all excited, I guess, when you catch them and throw them into a container. They purge themselves out, defecate into the barrel. That's, you want to get that out of there. So first I take fish out of the first net, put them into a, a tub of, of clean water, leave them in there for a while, transfer them from that into a barrel that I built. And it's self-contained. It has a circulation pump in it. It goes through filters. It filters out the dirt and the, and the waste from the fish and the slime and the scales that fall off. And and I put salt in it. The salt helps harden the scales on the fish, keeps the scales from coming off, and keeps the fish uh, healthier. Wow. So it's, it's a process. And yeah. So you, can you just go down and buy like a, some regular table salt and just dump some salt in there, kind of like you're putting on a chip? Is it kind of like that, or is there actually a technique Kind of like for that, salt? but uh, yeah, it's like a cup of water, <laughs> a cup of salt for a ga- or 10 gallons of water. Wow. And I use a, either swimming pool salt or, or a water softener salt. Either one of those work well. So well, a lot cheaper than table salt. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. And like a salt in a big game animals, putting salt out. It's almost like the same concept, kind of. Kind of, yeah. And it just prolongs the life. And if you don't have fresh, lively shad, that seems to be one of the real keys is that stripers are very aggressive fish, but they want to chase that bait. It's, it's almost like it's a game with them. And I found that when I walleye fish for a career, too, that you get with a walleye, sometimes fishing with live night crawlers, they'd take a hold of the tail of the night crawler, they'd hang on to it, and you could feel the weight there, but they wouldn't do anything with it. They'd just sit there and hold it. And if you pulled a little bit, they would pull back. And every time they pulled back, they'd take a little more into their mouth. Stripers are kind of like, you can, I fish live forward-facing sonar, so you can, it's real time. It's like playing video game fishing almost, you know. Wow. But you see, you can see your bait swimming in the water, and all of a sudden your rod starts bouncing like crazy, and your bait swimming hard down there. And then the striper comes through, and he'll make three or four or five passes sometimes by that bait and never touch it. He'll just leave. But he wants that bait that he wants to chase that thing. And if that thing doesn't swim away from him, he'll ignore it. So interesting. Yeah, it really is. It's yeah, it's it's. There's a lot more to it than just fishing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. During those, like you said early, those three years that it took for you to really catch on and say, you know what, this is something. Once you got, once you got your hook set in one of those bigger, bigger bass, how long did it take you to really perfect this craft of uh, knowing all the intricacies, just like every other, you know, type of fishing or hunting? I haven't done that yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> We're always learning, right? Yeah, you never quit learning. It's there's it's a, just a learning curve. It just you get higher and higher on the curve all the time, but you'll never never ever learn all there is to know, I don't think. But it, it right now I'm I'm fighting myself right now trying to figure out a pattern because it's a, two things have happened. One, we're having an unseasonably cold winter. Yep. Although the water temperature is not as low as it is some other years but normally they start pumping water into lake pleasant sometime in september and they pump water into lake pleasant all winter because 
it's an irrigation pond, basically. They pump it full in the wintertime. They drain it down in the summertime, pump it full the next winter. Well, with the Colorado River situation and being the, the, the drought situation, Arizona's water allotment has been cut back. So they've, they have not been pumping water into Pleasant like they have every other year. They did for, I think, about two months, but at a much slower pace. And right now, I think the lake is about 20 feet lower than it would be normally at this time of year. So because of that, fish have not located into the same areas that they normally do in the wintertime. So we're having to learn a little bit over again. I mean, you, you think that everything would be basically the same. I mean, they'd be in the same depth of water and this and that, and they probably are. It's just a matter of trying to find out what's going on. The other big factor... I was having extremely good luck fishing in the in the uh, Agua Fria. They closed the Agua Fria on December in December for uh, I think the fifteenth for uh, eagle nesting season. Yep. So there were a lot of fish in the Agua Fria, and it was a good bite up there. But now you can't go there, so now yep. you got to so learn. Yeah, learn new areas. Plus, now sure. all the eagles are are taking them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eagle thing you know that's that's another controversial thing but it's what it is so we have to live with it it has i don't think it i don't think the boat traffic really bothers the eagles at all i mean i spent a lot of time fishing in oregon there's a lot of eagles i spent a lot of time in alaska fishing there's a lot of eagles and they i have eagles come down to take fish <laughs> what i released out of my boat i have eagles come down four feet from me and swipe them off the water you know <laughs> so it's like feeding them but one of the campgrounds we stay in has eagles nesting in it, and they're right in the middle of the campground. But it's, you know, it's one of those things. Yep. So we live with that. Yep, but, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, so yeah bald, bald eagles and osprey are not going to starve. They're they're far better yeah. fishermen than we are. Yeah. It's neat that we take care of our resource, and that's that certainly is a heritage of, yep. yeah, for us. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So we get the shad, so we... we the, the shaver or the shatter lively they're living in your your two tubs you're keeping them going so they're so <laughs> down, they, to, down to one tub now down to one tub yeah yep so so the so the fish are alive and we're doing special okay special conditions to make sure that they're not dying yep. they're not slow try so to keep your bait fresh it's much easier in the winter time because it's cool out summertime when the water's hot it's hard oxygen yep. and that the warm water and stuff but you know, then after I get my bait, if I got enough bait, then I'll go and start hunting for fish. And I use my electronics, and I just go to spots where I know where I've caught fish historically and go back to those spots. And and if I don't find fish, I don't fish. That's And my wife used to fish with me really a lot, and she used to get annoyed with me. Didn't we come out here to fish? Why are we just driving around, <laughs> you know? He said, you don't want to fish where there's no fish. I just would like to fish. I don't care. Just stop. <laughs> I'm not yep. going to stop if I don't find fish. <laughs> so I, I fish my electronics extremely hard, and I'm blessed that I have really good, good electronics, and I've, I've built on that over the last several years, and I have forward-facing sonar, which kind of like makes video game fishing almost. Yeah. I mean, you, it's, it's a live, real-time thing. But even without that, you still you have to learn what you're seeing on your sonar so you know that you're not looking at bait. 
Um, a mutual friend of ours fishes with me quite a bit, and he's always saying, oh, there's fish, there's fish. I said, no, they're not fish. Well, they look like fish. No, they're not fish. <laughs> so it might be a bait ball or it might be white bass, or but it's not what we're looking for. So, yep. yeah, there's that's a whole game in itself is understanding electronics, but it's the probably, <laughs> other than having a boat and a rod and a reel, probably your electronics are your most important asset you can have in your boat. So a lot of it's just time investment in learning your electronics and what those fish look like and understanding that, that side of it. Yeah. Yeah. A school of stripers, a school of stripers on standard sonar look like spaghetti almost. I mean, they're just very, very active. They're swimming. They're in schools, typically in bigger schools. And they just, they just look like a bunch of spaghetti on your graph almost, you know. So it's yeah. when you see that, you know, and it's totally different than anything else. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. So now we find the spaghetti. We I believe there's some some, a, some stripers down there. <laughs> so is there, because I know you like to, to go after the larger stripers, and we know there's a lot of smaller stripers. So is there a difference in what you're looking for on your sonar based on size, or are you just kind of assuming that, they're going to be intermixed. Fish stripers, a school according to size, for the most part, not totally. But if you're catching all nine-inch stripers, you're going to catch nine-inch stripers. If you're sitting in a school of nine-inch stripers, you're going to catch a whole bunch of nine-inch stripers or 12-inch or whatever. In the summertime, a lot of people fish with anchovies, and they fish out in deep water, and they'll catch... Guys will catch 100 fish a night sometimes, but they're small fish. They're just schools of small fish, but it works. And yep. and they're good eating. They make great tacos and stuff. Absolutely. They're good eating. But fish a school according to size. Uh, the bigger the fish, the smaller the school. And it's not – it's just a matter of numbers, I think. I mean, there's 20-pound stripers in Pleasant, but you don't hear of a 20-pound striper being caught very often. Not many of them live to be 20 pounds, so therefore – a school of 20-pound stripers might be two or three fish. Yep. A school of two-pound stripers might be several hundred fish. So there's a lot yep. of difference. And um, right now, the fish have grown. There's a tremendous amount of feeding in Lake Pleasant this last year. <coughs> Every year, the fish, the stripers get larger and larger and larger and larger on an average um, from... I'm going to say 10 years ago, a three-pound average to now, I've been, it's very common for me to have a five or six-pound average. So um, a 10-pounder three or four years ago was really a big fish. And this is funny, but I've never caught a 10-pound striper. Almost everybody that fishes with me in my boat has caught a 10-pound striper. Yep. <laughs> I've never caught a 10-pound striper. Interesting. I had two fish on at one time one day, and I handed one of the rods off to my friend Ron. 10-pound yep. striper. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I kept the wrong rod. 50-50. <laughs> <So, laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I caught two 8-pounders one time back-to-back -back in about five minutes. I mean, but... That's just the way that it works. But if you're yeah. catching all four-pound fish, you're probably going to catch four, five, six-pound fish because they—that's the size of that school of fish. Okay, so that makes sense. Yeah, that. Yeah. So then, if, if you if you start bringing up some one-pounders, two-pounders, 
you're going to pick up and leave, right? I leave. You leave, yep. Yeah. So most people will be like cheering and hooting and hollering. <laughs> and I, Well, I'm on fish. Yeah. I ain't leaving this spot. And oh, my, wife, like, my wife has let me know that a couple of times. I said, <laughs> we're out of here. And she said, why? <laughs> They're little. I want to catch them. We're, no, we're leaving. <laughs> so, she's funny. We, got, we spent a whole day one day catching bait. You don't always catch bait. I mean, I've, I've, spent, I've spent hours throwing a cast net and gone home because I didn't have any bait to fish with. I just quit Yeah. after six or seven hours of it. So, oh. And one day, Luann and I went, and we, we fished for, I mean, we threw a cast net for a long time to get bait. She will not go at 3 o'clock in the morning, Mike, I assure you. So oh, I, I, that's like, I, I'm with we're, you. We're there at 9 o'clock in the morning. But we finally get some bait. Then I drive around looking for fish, and I drove around and drove around and drove around, and she gets out of patience, uh, so we stop and fish a little bit, and then I drive around another hour after 10 minutes of fishing. and Finally, I found a school of fish, and we were catching fish like crazy, and they were about, not big, maybe three and a half or four pounds. Yeah, this not was, big for, yeah, yeah. That, that's, mon- yeah. that's great fish for yeah. all of us. Okay, got <laughs> it, okay. I looked over my wife's rods laying in the boat, and I said, you're not fishing, I'm done. I said, what? She said, they pull too hard. I'm tired. I said, let me bait your hook. No, I don't want my rod in the water. I'm just going to sit here and relax. I said, okay. So, you know, whatever. Yep, I love it. We're all made different. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so I can spend a lot of time hunting for fish and not finding fish. But if, you, if you're fortunate enough to find a good school of stripers, you can catch a lot of fish in a very, very short period of time because yep. not always, and there's no guarantees, but stripers, I've always said, are like a pack of wolves. They're just, they're in a pack, they're roaming, and they're feeding. They're looking for something to eat, and they're just roaming around. And one of the keys, if you start catching fish, you can fish two lines in Arizona. If I have two guys with me or one guy with me, myself and somebody else, it's four rods. Keep a, do everything you can to keep a rod in the water when you're catching fish. So I don't care if there's a fish on it. Leave that fish hooked up and let it swim around down there because it keeps the other fish there. So it's, it's really, really, really important to don't catch a nice fish and bring it up and, and sit there and look at it and say, wow, that's a nice fish, and take pictures. Throw yeah. that thing on the floor and get your line back in the water yeah. because there's more fish down there in the I've had, I've had 15, 20 fish laying on the floor of my boat at one time, and I always try to bleed them, cut their gills, bleed them out in a five-gallon pail and get them on ice right away. I've had 15 or 20 fish flopping around on the floor of the boat because I refuse to take the time to bleed a fish when I'm catching fish. So, <laughs> so, yeah. That's good. Yeah. No problem picking up and going to the other side of the lake if there's only little one-pounders. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. If, if you got those five and up... Oh. Man. then the bait is going to be the yeah. the bait and the hooks are going to be in that water so how much bait is typically inside one of these tubs you think how many of these shad do you think typically that before how many do you like when to have the, in there when the fish are biting i'd like to have a hundred a hundred yeah because i like fresh bait i don't like to if you have a bait on for a while and you don't get bit i like to change it out or a lot of times you'll get bit and kill a bait yep and or you miss fish you know you lose fish uh, sure yeah the other day, Randy Spray and myself were out, and we had we only caught I think four stripers, but we caught 
40 some white bass and wow. normally i never keep white bass i i just if they're gut hooked or something they swallow the bait i'll keep them but otherwise i don't but because we weren't carrying stripers and rindy and i both wanted a meal of fresh fish so okay we'll keep this one it's bigger well by the time we were done we ran out of bait and we had 40 some white bass that i had to fly oh so my gosh yeah. randy just laughed at me i told him i'm gonna get even with him yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh they're the same way they 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 are not as aggressive they don't bite as hard they don't fight as hard but they're good eating and they're yep. fun and for kids and families white bass is a blessing yep for sure absolutely, absolutely. when you're baiting those shad can you walk us through how you're uh how you're baiting them so that they swim properly or yep. I will, and I'll, I'll start even before that a little bit. I'll go back to line. I fish fluorocarbon leaders, about six feet a liter, because Lake Pleasant is very clear. Fluorocarbon doesn't catch light like monofilament does, so it doesn't show up in the water as much. I told you a story about I broke off a few years ago. Yep. At that time, I was fishing like eight-pound monofilament. Today, I fish 40-pound braid with a 16-pound fluorocarbon leader. Wow. And I still have broke off a couple of times, but um, I think fluorocarbon is important. Um, I fish a hook according to the size of the bait. If I've got small thread fin shad that are three inches long, I'll use a smaller hook like a number six, and I fish a hook called a Gamagatsu shiner hook. Um, I like to hook the fish in the mouth and out the top of the nose you go in the mouth they can still open and close their mouth to breathe because they have to gulp water to pass water over their gills so i hook them in the mouth out the top of the nose um, a lot of guys tail hook their fish or, or bait i should say and or back hook it and it works it's just my preferred way of doing it stripers you fish close to the bottom you want to keep that bait close to the bottom almost all the time although i've caught a lot of fish suspended at times and uh so how deep so how deep is is, uh, is the bottom are you fishing is it going to be i think the deepest i've ever caught stripers has been about 75 feet down in a 90 feet of water and oh. i was just going from spot a to spot b watching my graph i always do went over stuff that looked like fish Oop turned around and went back and i said okay there's fish here we dropped lines down ron miller and myself we had four fish on at the same time and usually you won't land all four fish on that occasion we landed all four fish mm -hmm. and as fast as we got lines back there we would catch more fish but it only lasted about 10 or 15 minutes and when they move they move and you have to find them again so if you're lucky you start making circles and relocate them and that time we did not but mm -hmm. um that 10 or 15 minutes, though, makes all the difference when you get up at 3 in the morning. It, that made the whole day, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it does. But um, I like to fish. So the guys that I take out sometimes, you know, say, well, what do you think? It's 10 o'clock. We haven't caught anything in an hour. I said, yeah, but we don't quit till it's not dark yet, <laughs> you know. <so. laughs> I love it. Yeah. that's And... Say, Mama didn't raise a quitter. We're not going home. Right, yeah, because I've had some really good bites in the afternoon. You just have to find the fish. But by far, your best fishing almost, not always, but almost always, early morning and late evening. I like cloudy, rainy days. Um, we don't get a lot of those yep. down here, but I do like fishing cloudy, rainy days. It doesn't always work. 
a while back there was a rainy day. I told my wife, I'm going fishing tomorrow. Who are you going with? Nobody. I'm going by myself. I want to concentrate. Just want to get a big fish. I fished almost daylight till dark, and I never had a bite. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it rained all day. Oh, my God. <laughs> so things happen. Oh, but yep. um, keeping fresh bait, keeping a lively bait, use a hook according to the size of the bait. If you're using an 8-inch shad, which I do quite a bit, then I'll go up to a, like a 2 aught hook or something. So that's a pretty big hook. Yeah. But if you use too small of a hook with too big of a bait, typically what will happen when a, when a striper grabs it, the hook will get turned around and somehow embeds itself back into the head or the gills of, the, of your bait fish. So you wind up feeling the striper there for a minute that just pulls out of his mouth and he can't get the hook in because the hook's too small so makes sense yeah. um what wait. kind of what kind of reels are you using i use uh, my pref preference is a shimano dakota line counter reel hmm. basically they use them in the northwest a lot for salmon fishing and it's a trolling reel it's not a casting reel although you can cast with them but they have a line counter, so you know exactly how much line you have out. And I always, uh, if you if you see, I told you that instance we went 90 feet of water, saw a school of fish at 75 feet. You can sit there and you can measure out your line as you're letting it down a foot at a time and say one, two, three. Or you can have a line counter reel, and you can pull line out as fast as you can and watch the dial. And it says, okay, I'm 75 feet, stop, boom, you got a fish. So wow. I use line counters just for that reason i if if i see suspended fish or fish at a depth <clears throat> if it's 45 feet i put out 45 feet of line as fast as i can get 45 feet of line down to where the fish are so, so it, you almost want to be exactly the same distance that the fish exactly. you don't want to be 10 feet above or 10 feet below you almost want to be in right on top of them exactly kind of. yeah yeah the, just make it convenient for them to catch <laughs> you know it's kind of like like you said you've been in alaska um, I'm sure you've fished for halibut up there where a lot of those boats on charters have the line counters as well. And just not because necessarily because you're letting it go all the way down to the bottom or you want to see where it is. Exactly. You are letting that three or five pound weight take your bait all the way down. It's just interesting to see how far down some of those, you know, big, big, you know, plywood size yeah. uh, halibut are and, they're down three, four, five hundred feet, yep. and then if you hook one, I'm sure. <laughs> Good luck. Huh? Yeah, it's it's dead weight pulling yep. it up five hundred feet. Yep. You know, you better uh, better eat your weedies, and I'm sure after same thing goes. Maybe not after the first striper on a five or ten pounder, but if you catch several of those, you're gonna you're gonna know it at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't think stripers pull. They're not heavy as a hell of it. That's for sure. But no. But I'll, I'll, <clears throat> stripers are a very, very, very good fighting fish. I mean, it, they'll peel off a lot of line in a hurry. I hooked one a while back that uh, it just it just took off. It, I never stopped, and it went into a tree, and I wound up having to break it off. So, oh. But it took out, I think, 75 feet of line or something like that. No, it was more than that, maybe 175 feet. Just, just swam in a straight line, and, when, and it just knew where it was going and it went so <laughs> but uh striper are very very good fighting fish they're very good eating fish if you take care of them properly a lot of people say 
they don't care to eat them. Um, one of our mutual friends was just mm -hmm. telling me the other day on Facebook that they weren't all that great. And I said, I've, while I have a reputation of being one of the best eating fish in the world, I mean, they have white meat, very light, flaky. Yep. I've fed stripers to a lot of people that have eaten walleye and they've loved it so it's, yep, it's yeah. true i love it i mean yeah. it's all what you do when you when you get them and lay them up and keep them cold jet mentioned halibut i had um people from alaska that shared some striper in our camp in oregon last year and they said well that's the first fish that i can honestly say i liked as well as i like halibut so interesting yeah so well that's huge because yeah. i'm not a big salmon fan yeah. but I love rockfish. I love yellow eye. I love halibut. Yep. You love, you know, a lot of the cod species. Yep. And I haven't eaten a whole lot of freshwater fish. Yeah. But if someone from Alaska is saying that yep. stripers taste or taste as good, yeah. that says a lot. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and the, so much of it's in the handling of them. Though. They have a they have a lateral line, a bloodline, or whatever you want to call it, in their flesh between their flesh and the skin that is like liver i mean it it is in a walleye it's a little bit off colored a bass a little bit brownish maybe in a striper you have a two inch wide stripe of meat down a five pound fish that's maybe three eighths of an inch deep and it's the color of liver and it's very very foul tasting and very strong so when i catch a fish the first thing i like to do is cut its gills and bleed it um put it on ice, keep it on ice, and when I clean them, you cut all that red meat off of the fish, and, and the, the white meat that's left is very, very good. Yeah, no strong flavor. Preparation is everything. It is. It's just like taking care of a, any other critter, you know. If you, yep. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. So. Everybody says javelina tastes horrible, but yeah. we've, we've, made, we've made a lot of believers. Mikey's made lots of, lots of jerky and uh, – chorizo i mean granted everybody could say that it, we've added all these spices but there's so many people that would just throw it away and if it's all about the preparation yep. the lateral yep. line on a fish the no different than the scent gland on the small of the back of yep. uh yep. of our pigs i had a friend i had a group of guys that we hunted javelina together for 20 years and unfortunately when you reach the 80 year mark your lifestyles have to change, you know, and, and uh, one of my friends was from Texas and two were from Oregon, and we all hunted Arizona javelina together at archery for several years. One of the first years we did that, the, one of the guys from Oregon said, if I kill a javelina, the first guy that says I want it can have it. He says, because I don't want to pack one of those things. And I said, really? And he said, no. Well, I killed a javelina that day, and I took the back strap out of it and cut it into small pieces and yep. put it on the grill, and we grilled it and had yep. it for our dirge before dinner. He said, this isn't javelina. And I said, yeah, it is. And he says, no, it isn't. And I said, well, it is. It's what I shot this morning. And he said, well, I'm not giving my javelina away. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's so yep. much preparation. Old guy told me many years ago, the hand that touches the hair never touches the meat. And, That's yeah, true. Yeah. That's, that's a, true. That's the best saying ever. And we change gloves. A lot of us, you know, use gloves now instead of bare hands. But um, yeah, when you're skinning it out, yep. no, no big deal. Change them out to a different set of nitrile gloves, and then start working on the meat. And then I'm sure you can wash your hands a lot easier doing the fish, <laughs> yep. especially yeah. if you're near a sink. Yeah. But uh, yeah. 
it, the preparation is everything. It is, yeah. It's just, I think, especially guys that fish here in warm water, warm warm weather months, you know, through the summer and stuff. So it's getting those fish bled out and get them on ice is is really really important and keeping them cold. So absolutely, because it's a hundred degrees outside. Yeah. You figure yeah. anything you put outside in hundred degrees doesn't matter what it is. You leave it out there fifteen twenty minutes. Yep. I mean, it's already turning. I mean. Yep. When that heart beats, when that heart quits beating, whatever it is, whether it's a javelina, a deer, or a fish, when that heart quits beating, that fish is on its way to spoiling immediately. So yep. whatever you can do to deter that for as long as possible is the right thing to do. Yep. Unless you're catching a whole bunch of fish, you just leave them on the boat. <laughs> right? That's the only time. But it's again, it's a very small window of time. It's That's not like hours. It's literally minutes of. Yeah of making sure that you're catching those fish and loading up that boat full of great fillets. Some of my best striper fishing days, and we kind of got sidetracked on that issue a while ago, but some of my best striper fishing days by far have been flurries where you catch 15 or 20 fish in 15 minutes. And you might go for three hours and not catch another fish. And my best days by far have been between 35 and 40 fish in a day and they're made up of two or three flurries and yep. a lot of dead time in between. Because like I said, stripers are schooling fish, and they're like a pack of wolves that are feeding. And if you can get into a school of fish and you got four rods, it's not uncommon to have two or three or four fish on at one time in a hurry. That makes sense. At Pleasant, other than catfish that can obviously outweigh them, are they at the top of the food chain as far as predatory fish go? Yes, I'm sure they are. Yeah, yeah, and it's they went through a cycle when they first got they were you know entered into Lake Pleasant through the CAP canal, and game and fish kind of felt that they would not get in there because they put screens and so forth. They tr- they tried to block the passage, but they got into Lake Pleasant, and then after they found that they were in Lake Pleasant. Game and fish that it's unlikely that they will spawn and reproduce in Lake Pleasant because they're basically a saltwater fish, and then even even on coastal waters they have running water that they run up the rivers and spawn and and then go back into saltwater. Um, Fa- famous why, last words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things that nobody. When they introduced them in the Lake Powell, I talked to the biologists about this. They introduced them in the Lake Powell. They thought. Well, this is a fish that's going to be sterile in Lake Powell. It's not going to reproduce. We're going to put them in there. And because there's so many shad in Lake Powell, the the stripers are going to, what we put in there, are going to grow, and they're going to be world-class fishery. They're going to be 50, 60 pounders. Well, a year or two later, the biologist saw this stuff in the water, and he couldn't figure out what it was. It was spawn from the stripers. (laughs) Uh, And we all know the history of Lake Powell. Yeah. Um, fortunately, we haven't seen that in Lake Pleasant, and I think my opinion of why is because the fact that, like we were talking about earlier, they pump it full every winter, they drain it down every summer, and it's it's a fertile lake because of the Aguafir River, all the water that comes into it through runoff. The CAP water in itself is not a very fertile fertile water; it's very clear, very sterile water almost. But when they drain the lake down. In the summertime, all that vegetation or that new ground that's exposed and close to the water's edge, cockleburrs and weeds and grass, and we all know the donkey situation out oh, yeah. there. So 
There's donkey dung all around the shore. Yep. When they part, pump the water back into the lake in the wintertime, all that stuff gets submerged, and it, could, it refertilizes the lake basically every year. So this year, yeah, this year I think you could almost walk across some of the coves on Shad. There's well, your sonar just just as alive with massive schools of bait fishing. Wow. That's a good thing. That is a great so, thing. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing there's that many schools of you know of the oh, bait fish with yeah. that many stripers and everything else that are eating. It is, yeah. And that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Um how long does it take usually for someone that wants to that lives here and for anyone that doesn't live here in Phoenix, Lake Pleasant that we are talking a lot about is <sighs> Within Maricopa County, it's kind of the northwest section of Maricopa County, and it's one of the closest, if not the closest. If you if you live in Central Phoenix or in the West Valley, it's definitely the closest, other than maybe Bartlett and Saguaro. If you live in the East Valley or North, but anyway, it has catfish, it has you know sunfish, it has smallmouth, largemouth, stripers. I hear I hear people say smallmouth, but. Honestly, I don't know if there's ever been a smallmouth really recorded out of there, but largemouth, yeah, bluegill, red-eared sunfish, channel catfish, flathead catfish, stripers, largemouth bass. A lot it, of fun stuff. A lot of fun stuff. And it's, for me, it's about 35 minutes from my house. I live in northwest Phoenix, so I can be, I can be on the water and fishing in an hour. Um, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, Enough. Have you ever heard any? Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say. Fortunately, I leave town in the summertime, so I go go where it's cooler. But smart um, man, it's a you know it's a great playground. But you know those boats are out there and those jet skis are out there yep. all the time, and the fish live with that environment. So it's not like because somebody's water skiing by you. I mean, one of the best days I've ever had fishing. I had bump guys water skiing past me all morning long and i was just jerking in fish like crazy so that uh, fish get used to that it doesn't bother them although yep. kind of, if you're out there thinking i'm going to go out to this serene lake and have peace and quiet it's probably not going to happen <laughs> yeah, no. this time of year when it's 35 degrees in the morning you might be by yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, if you come here and see carefree highway or the 303 and you see everybody pulling a boat <laughs> yeah. from probably May through September. Everybody's out there. I know it. Fun or, or jet skiing, water skiing, whatever. Yeah. Um, what I was going to ask on the CAP, you mentioned that, which is the Central Arizona Project, uh, the canal that is a feeder system for a lot of uh, farmland, a lot of water reclamation throughout Maricopa County and greater Phoenix area. I've heard stories of giant stripers living in some of those canals. Is there any truth to that? Or is it all another, uh, I caught a fish this big kind of story. <laughs> it's like the divers that go down by the old dam out at Pleasant and there's hundred pound catfish. You know? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, there's people catch stripers out of the canal systems frequently. I know that to be truth are there 40 50 pounders in there i don't know this the record for arizona which is they have inland water record and they have boundary water records 
Colorado River, I think, is about 65 pounds, 67 pounds. Monsters. So, uh, CAP water is pumped out of the Colorado River. So, you know. If it's genetics and no <laughs> other thing is going to eat them, if they yeah. did leave, live to maturity, they could. I just heard stories of like when CAP, whether they have their own biologist and they, you know, are draining it or they are doing studies and they do the electrolysis and stun the uh -huh. fish. Uh-huh. And then they're gathering, you know, plant material or whatever water samples in a select area um, that they've they've seen some. And everybody's interpretation, right? A ten pound right. fish to someone that doesn't fish right. could be gigantic. If you laid eyes on it, you're like, that's a a decent fish. Yeah. That's a healthy fish. But you would probably get the same level of excitement on a fifty pound fish. I'd love to catch a 50-pound striper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's what keeps me going. Yep, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, it keeps me going to Lake Pleasant striper fishing anyway. Yep. But, I, you know, there's, there's a tremendous amount of food in, in Lake Pleasant. There's a tremendous amount of threadfin shad. There's a tremendous amount of, of gizzard shad. Gizzard shad grow to be about maybe 14 inches. Wow, so it's big. It's, it's big. It takes a big fish to eat that. Um, and you fish with a big fish like that? I have I fished with them up to about ten or eleven inches. That's yeah. Wow. That's a big freshwater bait fish. It is. Yeah, I've never caught a fish on a bait that size. Um, but you can't catch that fifty pounder with with a with I, a, probably with a two inch shad. Ironically, you can. I know I have an acquaintance who's caught two thirty pounders on the Colorado River on three inch shad. So interesting. Yeah, it's. I think a 30-pounder will eat a 3-inch shad. A 3-pound striper won't eat an 8-inch shad. So, right. Well, maybe 8 inches, but maybe not. I've, I've caught stripers on shad so big that they couldn't swallow it. I mean, they just had it in their mouth head first partway down, and, and I've, I've pulled them in. The hook isn't in them or anything else. They just can't swallow it, and they can't let go of it. Wow. So their dorsal fins stuck in the roof of their mouth? Exactly. Or? Yeah. Well, you were saying the javelina hors d'oeuvres that someone didn't know was javelina. One of your buddies, the 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 big thirty pound striper eating a three inch shad. That's the hors d'oeuvres for them. I guess, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And my theory on that, you know, and I might be wrong, but I'm, my theory is that um, you need you need big bait. You need a very high protein food source for fish to get big gizzard chad provide i think that's why the gizzard chad were not in i don't think there were gizzard chad in lake pleasant 10 years ago interesting i'm not sure how they got in there i remember when i very first caught gizzard chad and i thought man this is a weird looking thing and they're gizzard chad you know so now they're very very abundant but they're a higher a higher protein source than threadfin chad probably because they're oilier fish not only that, but threadfin chad, a big threadfin chad is maybe five inches long. A big gizzard chad is 14 inches long. So let's just say, for instance, if there is a 50-pound fish in Lake Pleasant, he would probably be a lazier fish and fill himself up easily eating one 11-inch gizzard chad over eating 30 or 43-inch Redfin shad. Makes sense. A lot, lot less energy wasted. Yeah, right. That's the whole thing. And I think the Colorado River system, especially Havasu and Mojave and those 
those Channel Lakes on the Colorado River, they have a trout fishery in there. In the wintertime, they introduce rainbow trout oh. as a put-and-take fishery. It's almost like... Swirl Lake and the trout they do there where they get those big, large little baskets of all the, the trout. It's almost the same tr- concept, kind of. Trout are like salmon. They're very, very, very high oily protein, high protein fish. And those stripers learn on those game and fish trucks, dump trout in, they come there to eat. Bass and Canyon Lake for years, yep. guys would go out there and throw really huge swim bait, trout swim yep. baits to catch 10-pound bass in the bay where they dump the trout because the bass, you know, so it's it's yep. a matter of to get really big fish, you have to have the right food supply and and the right waters and everything to, to yep. do it. But we have it. So I think... Every year I've seen, I've been fishing seriously for stripers for, I'm going to say, 10 years, and every year I average bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger fish. Because of the numbers of fish, I'm not sure that there will ever be, it will ever be a fishery where 25-pounders are common because there's a lot of fish competing for the food, but there's a lot of food. So I don't know. Nobody knows that. Yep. Nobody knows it. I'm sure that there's 25- and 30-pound fish in there, 40-pound yep. maybe even, who knows? But um, that's the fun, and that's the allure. It is. Yep. That's that's what feeds our addiction. That's yep. what keeps eighty-year-old men going striper fishing. <laughs> <laughs> so. Three o'clock, launching a boat by yourself, <laughs> tying it up, going and parking the truck, getting back in the boat, yeah. then going and catching live bait, and then staying there till dark. It's you know, fishing is a is a a way to sit in a boat with a buddy of yours or two yep. and, and really visit and enjoy the day and yet yep. share stories and lies and this and that. But bow hunting is one of those things where you go by yourself and yep. you might climb up a tree and sit there for 12 hours and you just have you and this stuff around. So some days I don't bow hunt as much as I used to. So some days I have to get in my boat all by myself yep. and I go out there and I'll go at yep. three o'clock in the morning and catch some bait and yep. And I might just go look for big fish like I did that day in the rain and maybe not get bit all day, but, boy, I sure had fun. Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's amazing how just that solitude sometimes, just is. just yeah. what the doctor orders. Yeah. You can you can spend a lot of time on the water and never get tired of it. It's, it's, yep. a, it's a great pastime. Yep, absolutely. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. Well, I hope uh, everybody enjoyed this episode. Um, there's always more to learn, as Dick so eloquently said almost 80 years old and he never stops learning never stops learning on hunting never stops learning on fishing that can be applied to every aspect of our lives um don't think that you know it all because just when you start thinking that uh you got nothing less left to learn that's when it's going to come back and uh bite you so never stop learning keep plugging along and uh, no matter what it is whether it's fishing hunting any activity that you are interested in Give it 110%, and uh, that's what feeds that passion. Um, we're talking about going out and having that solitude and having all those thoughts to yourselves. Um, one, it's good to clear your mind. One, it's good to uh, just get away, and it's fun to harvest an animal or harvest some fish to fill that freezer. But it's also a way for us to connect to the Lord and, and have those deep conversations. You could take friends out that may not have that, uh, connection or like-minded individuals that do share that same relationship and same faith 
and uh, it's a good way for you to bond and, and have that fellowship and talk talk about whatever's going on in your mind or or questions. And if you are by yourself, what better time than to sit there in between cast or in between trolling than to than to pray and you know yep. have some deep thoughts. Yep. I remember, I many times think back to an old mutual friend Marvin Robbins, who's yep. gone home to be with the Lord a few years ago, but. Marvin told me when I first met him, he said, I'll share everything I can with you about turkey hunting, but before you hear about turkey hunting, you're going to know about the Lord. Yep. <laughs> that was Marvin's motto. That was yep. Marvin's motto. So I appreciated that so much. And, you know, I continually think to myself, I can do these things because of his grace. And that's, yep. that's, amen. Nothing is more fitting for me than that because without his grace, I wouldn't be doing anything today. Yep, absolutely. It's all of us. Absolutely, 100%. We're very blessed, and uh, we're very blessed that you took that card and that pamphlet and uh, created Desert Christian Archers 20-some years ago as a uh, subchapter, and it's evolved into Christian Hunters of America that we are beyond blessed to be a part of, and we are beyond blessed to have this podcast and, and share our our addiction of the outdoors and our faith with the Lord and um, we wouldn't have it either any other way. And we're very, very thankful to have you a part of uh, this podcast episode and our future seminar on striper bass fishing. But like every podcast episode, we all come to an end and Mikey, can you please close us out? Yeah, I'll close us out. All right. Lord God, how you're just so graceful and uh, your, your vision and your legacy is just uh, is, is so apparent today. And here just, you know, 20-something years ago, Lord, you instilled uh, an idea about archery hunting and uh, created a, an organization that has basically pushed through the last, to the two, early 2000s, to the 2010s, to 2020s, to now we're in 2023. And it is truly amazing to see what you start you you finish and and you allow your impact to be glorified through you and to think about all of those individuals that have been blessed through originally desert christian archers to christian hunters of america all because of the legacy and what you instilled and in one of the the founding members of mr dick king and we just thank you lord and we just ask you to continue to bless him lord bless him while he's on the water lord bless his wife luann bless his family and lord we just ask the special blessing that one of these times here in the next few weeks lord that that 20 pounder 30 pounder would hook on and give him that 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 ride that he has so long searched for in jesus name amen amen thank you mike thank you John.